catching an ATM skimmer in the act, and the growing sophistication of the cyber criminal. These stories and more coming up on the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro. We begin today's security report with the tale of how a single, dedicated credit union officer almost single-handedly nabbed a criminal skimming one of its ATMs. Skimming devices, of course, are inserted into ATMs to capture data from the magnetic stripe on the back of bank cards. Criminals use that stolen information to commit fraud against cardholders and banking institutions. Myra Corey is Vice President of Central Operations at the Tech Credit Union in San Jose, California, and as part of her job, she conducts fraud investigations into skimming of the credit union's ATMs. It was about a year ago, and a number of Tech Credit Union members began to complain that they were being charged for cash withdrawals they didn't make from an ATM in Los Angeles. Corey picks up the story members just saying, I wasn't in LA. As we put those claims together and researched the transactions, we pinpointed it to one of our ATMs as the common point of compromise. Once we knew that, then it was looking at video to see what was happening. Hours and hours of videos, you know, somebody scrolling through. Corey didn't have access to live video feeds of the credit union's ATMs. A few months later, that changed. Give me access. I just want to check from home and on the weekend because we saw that pattern. He was coming in either Friday night, Saturday morning. So I just started monitoring the ATMs that he was hitting. I couldn't monitor all 10 at the same time, but the likely ones, the bigger ones for our bigger branches and busier branches. Corey says one member waiting to use the ATM stood behind the criminal, the thief taking his time, maneuvering something, and not looking like he was using the ATM. The member reported the suspicious activity to the credit union. With live video access, Corey began to monitor the criminal's movements. As I saw the pattern of when he was installing and when he was coming back and checking, or when he was coming back and removing the skimmer, listed it all out and said, okay, where is he likely to go and what times? So at those times during the days, usually early morning, Saturday mornings, and then come back in the afternoon to check. And if he left it, it would be five, six o'clock at night. I just checked those times at all of our ATMs to see if he was there, because my whole goal was to narrow down the time that he was there, that the, the skimmer was on, and then first thing Monday morning, block the cards and then contact these members to let them know before transactions could happen. The last time I monitored, he showed up. We already had a case opened up with local police. It was a Sunday afternoon, and you know, at my kitchen counter, monitoring video, just kind of letting it go, and then he shows up. We had an anti-skimming device already installed at that ATM. He looked a little ticked off that we stopped him there, but I figured, okay, well, where else is he going to go to try? At that point, all but a couple of Tech Credit Union's ATMs had anti-skimming devices installed. I was monitoring those two just in the case that he would go there. He happened to go to our Campbell branch that hadn't had an anti-skimming device installed yet, and we timed it. We had a plan because we tried to do this the weekend before, and he never showed up, of course. So the next weekend, I said, okay, I'm still going to check. And he did show up, and so we kind of put that plan into play. I picked up the phone, contacted everybody, get that ball rolling, and police showed up and timed it right. He was there. He had the skimming device on him identified him right away because he had a star tattoo on his hand. Months later, a court sentenced the culprit to three years in prison. Corey was interviewed by ISMG's Tom Field. He asked her, 
Are you considering a second career in law enforcement now? No. <laughs> I like my weekends. <laughs> <laughs> and you got I them back to, now. Yeah, I have them back now. Yeah. It was satisfying to catch them, but that wasn't my goal. And you can't always do that. I was determined to at least stop the fraud, minimize it on our side so that we could focus on other things. It took several staff and lots and lots of hours just to stay up on top of that. Of course, we lost a lot of money, so that's not something we want to go through every year. You can watch Tom's video interview with Myra Corey on any of ISMG's news websites. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. Cyber criminals are showing the sort of sophistication that would make an organized crime kingpin proud. Bank Info Security Editor Tracy Kitten has been observing this trend and joins me to discuss it. Welcome, Tracy. Hi, Eric. You see the line being blurred between cyber criminals and the most infamous actors from a handful of well-funded nation states. Yes, Eric. Cyber criminals in nation states such as Russia and China appear to employ some of the same methods and motives. Sophisticated hackers need resources to consistently succeed. Large nation states have the financial wherewithal to fund their cyber espionage and their attacks. To gain that level of financial means, cyber criminals are creating syndicates. It's a trend noticed by Steve Durbin, who's the managing editor of the Information Security Forum. The ISF is a not-for-profit organization that develops best practices to address IT security threats. And Durbin describes cyber criminal gangs as entrepreneurs. They're very agile, very ready to adopt new ways of working and thinking. They've matured beyond that. They're now highly structured, very, very competent, very collaborative, large enterprises. And of course, they have moved into offering a whole range of different services. We've seen the resurgence or rival crime as a service and the price points around certain things that you buy on the, on the dark net dropping, which you know, from a marketing standpoint tells me that there is more demand out there than anything else. And of course, people are meeting that demand with increased supply and with increased product. Those are inevitably going to wind up being used in the nation state space. And certainly some of the advances that we're seeing from a nation state actor perspective are going to end up in the cyber criminal environment as well. Why? Because both of those elements are feeding off each other. How do these cyber criminal gangs and their nation state cohorts differ from the organizations and governments they attack? Well, for one, this dark market doesn't suffer from some of the same things that the good guys do. As Durbin says, they don't experience budget constraints, and they're highly educated and competent in their abilities to get a hold of the latest technologies, and they use them. The other thing, they don't need to get lucky very often in order to create significant impact, whereas we always have to be playing a very defensive game, and we can't afford to let anyone get past the uh, protective side of things. And this is why I think it's so very important for there to be increased collaboration, both between the private sector and the public, law enforcement, government agencies, but also across governments and across multiple jurisdictions, so that we can really try to focus in on how we can put together a defensive plan that is going to be effective against some of these uh, upcoming attacks. How can the good guys mitigate the threat posed by cyber criminals and nation states seeking to do harm. Well, better attribution would help. If you can find out where these attacks are coming from, you can do something about them. Here again is Durbin. Attribution becomes very, very important because if we can attribute effectively, we know exactly then where the attacks are stemming from and we can look at the measures that we can effectively then take to combat that whether that be of a political nature, whether it be perhaps through sanctions if you want to move down that particular road, or whether it really is very much more into empowering law enforcement to be able to, uh, to take action. Attribution is very easy to say, by the way, very difficult to do. We shouldn't underestimate the amount of effort that is required in order to effectively come up with the correct attribution for these attacks. Our listeners will be able to hear and meet Durbin and you later this month, right? 
Yes, Durbin will be a featured speaker at Information Security Media Group's Fraud and Breach Prevention Summit in Atlanta, which takes place April 25th and 26th. And you can get more information on our Atlanta and other summits at events.ismgcorp.com. Thanks, Tracy. Thanks, Eric. Finally, Microsoft has a mighty task as the defender of the world's most used operating system. ISMG Security and Technology Editor Jeremy Kirk explains. But a close look at how Microsoft handled a dangerous software vulnerability in Word is raising questions. On Tuesday, Microsoft issued a massive batch of software patches for Windows. One fixed a zero-day vulnerability in Word that could allow an attacker to bypass Windows security protections and install malware. Even worse, the flaw affected all versions, including the latest one, Windows 10. The flaw was disclosed to Microsoft in October, yet it took more than four months to be patched. There could be reasons for the long delay, the consequences of issuing a patch that breaks other functionality, or even worse, is ineffective, could be devastating. But the risk to users rises as time passes, and Microsoft came under increased pressure from arguably an ally, the security company McAfee. For some reason, McAfee publicly disclosed the bug on its blog four days prior to Patch Tuesday. That public notification preceded high-volume attacks over the weekend. The security company Proofpoint saw millions of spam messages with malicious Word documents engineered to install Drydex, which is a powerful banking trojan. Jerome Segura is a senior security researcher with Malwarebytes. He tells me that many people were up in arms at McAfee's post. It essentially robbed Microsoft from making the initial disclosure. McAfee's post also signaled to whomever developed the word exploit that its window of effectiveness was likely closing. John Bambanek is a threat intelligence manager with Fidelis Cybersecurity. He tells me that such exploits have high value but only as long as they're effective. Given Microsoft was likely to patch soon, that group probably decided to quickly sell it, hence a hurried up sale to whomever distributes Drydex. The flaw was apparently a deeply rooted design issue, which is why Microsoft took so long to fix it. The company tells me it was aware early on of exploits. Still, Microsoft probably should anticipate that information on bugs might leak out early. And for that, users should be made aware so they can take as many precautions as they can. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Eric Chabro. Catch you next time.